The train rush brings all of the stock to the yard. Their routes are better than yours. They'll teach you and it's free of charge. Hi, welcome to the train rush. Your new overpriced timeshare of all things train gaming. Brought to you by your hosts, Craig Taylor and Dave Moss. So, we're going to start today's episode with some personal updates, uh, some of the things that we've played and yep. uh, been involved in over the last few weeks. I guess I'll start. I was, quite, I was quite fortunate to get a lot of 18xx in over the last couple of weeks. Not necessarily dedicated on one title, although heavily loaded towards the one on today's episode. Specifically, I've got an opportunity to play 18 New York, which was quite exciting. It reminded me of a few other titles I played and then... Um, realized that its date predated the titles it reminded me of so my <laughs> my assumptions needed a reversal there clearly you can see some influence on some modern, modern titles that are very interesting that one is currently available through golden spike if you can get in their queue interesting game that we'll pro- hopefully cover in a future episode also went to a friend's house in bath and got to play 1836 junior again it's been a while since i played that one dave yeah, we, we've not had it hit the table as much recently, and I know we're still planning to get an episode on it, but we need to pick those plays up at some point. But, but in the meantime, you've played it without me, as you were saying. How did it go? It was all right. It was interesting to play. Bear in mind, a lot of the games I've been playing recently have been incremental capitalisation. I then flipped back to 1836 Junior for full cap. And again, those behaviours that are slightly different I'm getting for optimal play, I'm getting caught out on. But it was interesting to play it. It does really work well at the lower player counts. So play, we only had three players available, and that one sings perfectly well at three players. So in terms of utility value, really glad I made a copy, and one that I can see staying in the collection. It, what I feared it might be a one-and-done. It's not that. I don't, I don't think there's ever a one-and-done really in these, is there? I think you can end up with crossover, right? I think you can end up with True. too many copies of very similar games and, well, I'll just pick the one that I prefer. The, yeah, yeah, which one do I like? Mm. Um, and, and I think you had a new purchase you've played as well recently? Yes, a um, bit of a weird purchase. So I'm trying to make this not just an 18xx podcast, as, as are you, Dave, as evidenced by our last episode on North American Railways. I've been trying to play some more Cube Rail games as well. When my local retailer, uh, Firestorm Cards, had a copy of Iberian Rails in. I remembered seeing the Kickstarter for that, which somehow mm. I managed to avoid. Yeah, I, say, I missed it for some reason too. I'm I not say, sure why. I say avoid, that sounds really hostile. I, I knew it was there. I didn't back it. Um, but anyway, how have you found it? I haven't managed to sit down and play it with you yet, but, but well, you've had a couple of games, I think, haven't you? I guess, spoiler alert, I bought the Kickstarter extras on the Board Game Geek store. So I liked it enough to want to play with the absolutely insane, underbaked, undeveloped roles that come from the Geek store. And there's some there that are completely wacky, but the whole fear that I had with this game that the, the so just let's start this back. It's a cube rails game with role selection, and I would liken it to cube rails mixed with Vanuatu. And the roles give you variable player powers. Yeah, sure, yeah. and only for a round, and they're not too unhinged. And being honest, I feared it would be crazy. Actually, on the whole, they're quite intelligent, and they lend a bit of flavour. Quite enjoying it. I'd like to do an episode on it. Let's see. If let's let's get some plays in. Yeah, let's do it at some point. I think. I think it's worth exploring, right? But cool. there's other fundamental cube games. I think we need to explore as well. And I, and I think you know, continuing the Iberian theme, we've also played Tom Russell's Iberian Gage recently. Uh, a friend of ours has got the winsome set that that came in, so we we played it. Um, and I think you know, spoiler alert, I'm a big fan of that game. I really really like it. So I think we're going to try and get a few more plays in again at some point. We hit that list. We're, we're going to work some things out and uh, 
and do it. It's very pure. Weirdly, it felt like 18xx distilled in some ways. I really enjoyed it. I would say that maybe... I was going to say, don't give all your thoughts away no, before I we won't. do an episode. <laughs> I won't, but it's, it's, a, it's an interesting thing. It feels like an opener or a closer type game. Yeah, or, or one you're playing rounds, but let's. There's, there's some interesting things there, definitely. Mm. Let's let's keep that for a future conversation. And and, and for me, the only other uh, gaming I've got in, or the only ATXX gaming I've got in, is this week's episode, which I'm sure if you've already clicked on the title, you know we're going to be reviewing 18 Island, and and we'll we'll talk to you about that one shortly. I think if we've got anything else we want to kind of cover off. No, no, boy, we have played a lot of 18 Island over the last few weeks, and in all fairness, prior to that, it's been always been one of our mm. favoured titles. It was great to do this episode to get an opportunity to play it more. In terms of other things, yes, I guess less playing, more making. I guess that's part of the hobby too. I finished, well, I say I finished. We finished the redraw of um, Jonathan Wells's reimagining of 1889. I posted some stuff about on Twitter. I, so uh, I, when you say we, that's you and Jonathan. I, you know, I have absolutely no creative <laughs> and, and print and play type skills. Um, that is purely your domain. I just turn up and play them when you've made them. Jonathan would probably argue I've got absolutely no print and play and creative type skills as well. But um, <laughs> that's, but then most people don't compared to Jonathan. That said, I helped him with some of the technical stuff on the redraw. It's mostly his, 99% his work, but it's interesting to see a finished product that I helped put something in towards. I'm going to put some pictures up for it later. It looks it looks phenomenal. I'm strongly, I, I encouraging, jo- I'm strongly encouraging Jonathan to try and get those files shared but the reality is he has to check out with people like Carthaginian who I think he borrowed some of the graphics from and of course um, the yeah, original publisher it's, of 1889 never, never an easy thing to do but I have to be honest absolutely the same thoughts you know you, you showed it to me and I was blown away it looks absolutely stunning uh, the artwork is lovely um, you know it's a game I like and I've played a number of times so so to see it done in a way that just keeps that um, really really nice presentation is good um, well, the, well the best thing about it for me and I'll be specific one of the few things that we've had chats about before when it comes to 1889 and in particular Carthaginian redraw is the different colour tiles yes yeah I struggle with those a little bit with mm. my partial colour blindness so I like the fact you've reverted back to a more traditional style absolutely Yep. Um, oh, that word again. Good. Yeah. Very muchly. Yes, I, I, I'm sure we bigly. can have a whole future episode on styles of tile art. Um, yeah. We may lose some listeners at that point, but you never know. Some people might come with us for the ride. Cool. Uh, and have any new games turned up recently? I don't think there's many train games around out there, are there? Well, this is one I bought on your recommendation, Dave. So, Ground Floor by Spielworks, a publisher I always keep my eye out when they release things. That pre-order finally landed in the UK. Yeah, I think we, we got our copies on the set. So I, I have a copy of the second edition. I kickstarted the first edition originally. Love the game. But yeah, that's not a train game, so that's not for today's discussion. So, I don't yeah. think really is Let's it. Let's just sweep that one under the sleepers and move swiftly on to the news section. Yes, so... the, the choo-choo news. Oh, I like that. We should do a jingle for that or something. Um, so I think the biggest news that's come out in the last couple of weeks since we last recorded an episode, since we last spoke to everyone, uh, was from All Aboard Games. They've announced that they're going to publish Eddie Robbins' 1879, uh, which was originally part of a Winsome set. It's, it, like most Winsome 18xx games, is extremely hard to get hold of. Very, very, uh, you know, rare in its valuation. So, yeah, that's great news that that's going to come out. And I think, you know, they're going to do a complete set. I think the only thing that's going to miss out of that is the sort of 1830 rules you need to support playing the game. But obviously, uh, I think the, uh, win- the winsome set came with- without the tiles and the trains. So, you know, they're, they're kind of covering off the things that they can, really. So, And I think that's going to be available in the autumn. But I argue with the word complete at that stage, right? I appreciate that 
we all know that mechanics and rules can't be copyrighted. Well, specific instances of them can. There's nothing to stop them rewriting any 1830 rules, not verbatim. I also appreciate why they don't want to do it. It's just frustrating when you get one of these packages and it reads 1830 rules, here's a sheet of deltas. I really like having a, a, a rule book for the thing and it feels like a surmountable challenge. To, to, to be fair, we, we, we have no idea what's actually going to come in the box, but I think, as I say, there's something we read that, that was saying that. So... I mean, I think, you know, we've... I hope we, we've, proven wrong then, Dave. I hope yeah. you've proven wrong in that supposition that it's just <laughs> going to be a sheet of paper as rules. I'm, I'm sure they'll, you know, given all the board's usual high-quality outputs, there'll be some good stuff in there. But as you say, you may need to do a little bit of homework ahead of playing it. But uh, but excited about that, and we're definitely looking forward to a copy landing here at uh, Train Rush HQ. So, Scott Peterson, please do reply and let us know what sort of rule book is. Thank you very much. <laughs> um, I think other things we've seen coming up. Uh, we talked in our last episode about the Belgian 18XX Con uh, out in Mechelen. Um, our good friends over at Rouse on Board kind of posted a link to a report afterwards. It sounds like everyone in Belgium had a good day. They played a number of different games. I think it looked like they had two or three tables. Most tables got two or three games, and so that's a really, really good day mm. of eight and xxing. So fantastic news to hear that went very, very well. And and you know we're still hoping and looking forward to see what the winter date might look like. Well, they dropped us an email, and I was really pleased to hear from them that specifically they they felt was successful enough to warrant a winter date. Mm. Often these things, you do the first one, you go the next date's provisional, depending on how well we do. And they seem to be pleased as punch with how it went. So we're super pleased for them as well. Absolutely, yeah. That's great news. And as you say, we'll, we may see what we can do about um, taking the train rush on the road. Although it does conflict with a potential another date for us, which is mid-con coming in November. Sadly, if they were too close together, it we, might we preclude might us attending struggle. both. That said, we should talk to MidCon. Uh, MidCon is held in Derby, I believe. Yep, it's a, a hotel in Derby. It's been uh, it's been running for many, many years. I, I want to say in the region of sort of twenty years. Got a strong eighteen XX presence. Obviously, it's a standard gaming convention. I've been up a few times before and, and had a great time there. Made some good friends and, and played in the eighteen XX room. So it's definitely worth checking out if you're in the UK or able to get here for that weekend. I think they've got a Facebook group or. I think if you Google MidCon... Um, That's it. We'll leave some work for you to do. Yeah, absolutely. Ex- exercise the reader. Go Google MidCon. It's, Indeed. It, it's probably worth it. Moving on to non-con things, games. The 1889 pre-order is still a thing. Last time I checked, it stalled about 160 copies. So if you are interested in an 18xx game with a dose of randomization, then go over to the LF Game Studio, studio website I'll say now that the uh, a number of like say alumni sounds a bit reverse snobbery. I don't mean that way. Experienced players have come out saying that they've got question marks until more rules have been released. I'm still operating on faith at this stage, and I will continue to do so. I am listening, however. I can see their point that if there is insufficient game in their sans random events, and they have no appetite for the random events then I can see why they're not buying it. The random events aren't the big thing. That's going to be the big challenge, you know, for for quite a few people to get around it. You know, the, the whole, one of the core premises of 18xx is it is, you know, not random. There is no luck and all that stuff. So, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm still sat on the fence on it. So, I, I am one of those people that hasn't quite helped push it over the line. Uh, we may change that position over the next few weeks because, obviously, as, as you said before, we want to see games published and we want to reward innovation and stuff. So, 
I'm sure you can convince me. Oh, I'm happy to, re- to reward and stuff as a mission, if you like. That's cool. You've got some Marflow news, Dave, that I was interested to hear. Yes, and I think I think they've kind of, again, revealed a bit more about their Essen plans for this year. So it looks like it's going to be 18BL, or, or Burgess's Land. So that's going to, I think, be their only game that's available. I know they'd previously suggested uh, Namibia and Trinidad uh, were going to be available. I think they're both being tested uh, and, and and will be kind of you know taken forwards into next year. So alongside that and the previously announced eighteen Dortmund uh, and uh, eighteen Baltic states, uh, it's going to be a big year for Marflow next year. Um, oh, good! In a year I'm not going to Essen. It's going to be a big <laughs> year. Fantastic. But but I'm certainly you know interested in in somebody who may be going to Essen. Uh, getting getting me a copy of Burgess's Land. Thank you, Craig. Yeah, that's, that feels like a scant consolation prize. I was looking for the Trinidad myself, but <laughs> there you go. Such, such is life. I'll take a train game over no train game, I guess. So, I guess, on to the main meat of this episode. Well, you know, maybe it's a little bit more potatoes, but I guess we don't really want to upset our Irish listeners. And, and as you, as we said earlier, almost certainly guessed, today is 18 Ireland. Uh, it was published in 2017 by All Aboard Games, designed by Ian Scrivens. It supports three to six players and runs in about four hours, according to the box lid, which I think is quite fair. Um, maybe at six players, you maybe add an hour on. Maybe if you're slower players like our group, you can add an hour on. But I think for a particularly focused group, or even a moderately focused group, four hours is a fair estimate for the four-player game. Now, 18 Island is known for being quite a vicious... Austere, I think. Austere is the word that's typically used, leading to forced brutality is the general executive overview. I think there's a bit more nuance in there than that sentence strictly suggests. Let's talk to detail and let our listeners decide for themselves if it's something for them. So it's an incremental capitalisation game. With a, with a very small bank, the, the bank limit is four thousand. You know, mm. your, your companies are not going to make very much money in this. Feels one, like yeah. a massive bank, Dave, when you consider the value <laughs> of the runs. When you consider the value of the runs and the fact it runs hex trains that will come onto the specifics of, it feels very hard to to uh, liberate any of that money Indeed. from the bank. Indeed. So it features two sides of companies. Uh, you have little companies that are going to be the thing you start. The little value generators. Five, five share, twenty percent. Cert yeah, companies. absolutely. You're going to be starting to get yourself off the ground with your little bit of pocket money. You're going to be trying to generate what scant value there is on the board yeah. with and these they, tiny, they tiny have companies. Their home station, and, and mm. that's it. You know, that's their only presence on the board, and then they're running uh, those hex trains. Let's talk about hex trains to start yeah. with. Then it seems to be a, it's a sense this is going to be a thing we keep coming back to. So, if you haven't played a game with hex trains before, they are an alternative to stop trains functionally, and they travel arrange so rather than going four stops they'll traverse four tile edges yeah if it was a four train it's quite a nice abstraction in that for me it represents the technology driving forward right a train can travel further without having to stop without having to be serviced maybe it's faster so it could travel that much further in a day for me it's an easier abstraction easier it's a logical 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 abstraction the reality is because so few games are hex trains there's that context shift of, oh, this is this feels chewy. Well, I think, you know, the, the, there's two things. I think, you know, f- for, for me, when I got into playing 18xx, the majority of trains I came across were, were revenue stop trains, as we'll call them. Mm-hmm. Um, so you kind of get into that pattern, as you say, and whether they're impacted by little dits and, and uh, those kind of things. So, yeah, when you come across hex trains, it's like, wow, this is a very different way of dealing with things. 
but super super logical as you say kind of makes a lot of sense i think if i'd kind of kind of played a couple of those games first then then they'd have uh you know possibly helped make a little bit more sense but i do think you know uh, I, I think it's really we haven't played many hex train games there are, are quite a lot of them out there i know we've got quite a few on the to play list mm. but they but they are an interesting thing definitely really really worth noting Let me quickly interrupt proceedings just here with a quick fact check, for I am the fact check controller. By my carefully kept records, there are 11 games that feature hex trains from a pool of over 100 titles. This certainly does place hex train games in the minority, but still a feature common enough as not to make them remarkably rare. Now... Back to the regular timetable. Now, what was I saying there? Oh, yes. I've played three of them, and I think 49 is the other one I've played as well, most recently. I think they're an interesting puzzle. I like them as a way of making a title fresh. That's Hex Trains. So when we keep referencing Hex Trains, you'll now know what we're talking about. So these tiny little companies... The start companies, they have one home station, as you discussed, Dave. It's not necessarily opportunely placed. And as such, the value you can derive from the rubbishy little two-hex trains at the start of the game can be very limited. Uh, so it's probably a good time to come into how the, how the companies are seeded, right? Indeed, yes. You, you, you do that, and then I'll come up with a point that I, I'm going to make about that afterwards. Of course. So here's the thing. These little companies, they've all got fixed positions on the board. They're not abstracted. They start in a very definite place. Some of them are very definitely better than others in terms of generating early game value. Some of them might be better in the late game. That's by the by. You don't have a choice as to when you get them. Uh, they come out in a fixed order. And when you wish to start one of them, you propose you're going to start it and you have an auction for the for the president's share. And great. But the thing is, you can't start the one behind it until the one that's currently on the front of the queue is founded. And if no one wants to found it, then you've got to wait until that share round's complete. It will drop off the front and we'll have another round of ORs, people gaining advantage before you can unlock the next one. Yeah, and I think, I think you know, there's two, two interesting things there. Um, that variable setup has a massive impact on the game. It can create mm. some really, really, really changing scenarios. I mean, some companies, as you say, look better than others. And again, we played one, one of the playtests that we had leading into this episode where, where one of the companies came in very early and so only two hex trains were available, and its its opening route was significantly longer than two hex trains. So it just looked absolutely awful. I think some plucky soul did decide to take it on during the course of the game, and and, and luckily I think the train rush actually worked out well for them as part of that. But um, mm. but yeah, you've got a number of factors you've got to evaluate as you go through that. So that variable setup. Again, as as we've seen in a couple of those other sort of more modern, more recent releases, you know, eighteen twenty two. That ability to have the setup fixed once the game starts, but variable before the game starts, creates a lot of replayability, I think. So I should probably also, whilst we're talking about variable setup, Dave, talk about the privates. It's a waterfall auction. You've heard about those from us before. That's not the important bit. The important thing is only five privates feature in each game. Two of them are fixed. Three of them are from a big stack of privates so you're only going to be using a subset of the privates available in the box in each instance of the game so that's another element of the variable setup that can dictate which strategies can breathe life into the game and which ones are moribund 
it also stops canned strategies, right? I love 1846, but you have the B&O steam, steamboat strategy. You have the Grand Trunk East-West Quick Split yeah, strategy. Yeah. Those companies are in the game. Those strategies are always viable or in play, right? And, and I think in those, the, you know, the reliance is on some of the players to potentially meddle with those strategies. Sure, and that's fine. But what I like about this mm. is that a, a strategy that's good in one game because the black company comes out early and it can synergize. Your word, Dave, sorry for stealing it. <laughs> synergize with another company down in South, the Orange Company, say. If the black company's towards the tail end of the game and the orange company's at the start, then suddenly that kind of play doesn't make sense. You have to evaluate the flop, a bit like North American Railroads, right? You have to look at the flop of companies and decide what's going to be viable for this game. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and obviously that's a game we talked about last uh, last episode or one of our recent episodes. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think, you know, one of the interesting things, again, is, is is what you're looking for out of those companies. So, So you can run those five share companies to the end of a game. But they're going to need a lot of feeding and watering. They're not going to get a lot of money. You know, they, they have 100% worth of shares available. So it's quite likely at some point in the game, all of those shares will be out amongst the players and they're not getting any capital in. Well, don't forget their 20% shares, Dave, which sounds great. It's a lot of return for your investment. But because there's only five of them, well, functionally four of them because the president's share is its own it's thing. It's a 40% share, yeah. yeah. Because there's so few of them, it limits your options on getting capital into the company. Very much you, so. You know, you've got free purchases... But because the president's share, the president's share is kind of defined up front. You've got three additional purchases, and the money that goes in, that's it. Bar withholds, obviously. Yeah. Whereas with a ten-share company, you've got more you opportunities, more of, a drip, feed, more of a drip feed, and you can actually have some shares in the charter towards the end game value that can buy a late game train for a ten-share company. Mm. Never going to happen with these little five-share ones. Yeah, but I think you know what you are trying to do with these is is uh, is one of the other really interesting things of the, uh, this game. It's the merger mechanic. So on, you're trying on. to link the t- link them up uh, and then propose mergers. So any companies that are linked by track uh, can be proposed to merge. No, they can't merge if they're in the same hex because uh, there are a couple of companies that start in exactly the same place. You know, either side of a of a double station tile. Um, but other than that, if you can trace the route between the two companies, you can propose a merger. Um, and that is, you know, so they merge and they grow up to become a 10-share company at that point. And, and sure. I think that's probably doing it a slight disservice, right? That makes it sound like the 1822 mergers. It's, um, or 1822 kind of, uh, yeah, what well, they're, they're of a acquisition. That's an acquisition. Yeah, yeah. It makes it sound as simple as the acquisition. This is actually interesting. This is more like a pseudo-Indonesia type affair where um, we'll come to that specifically, but needless to say, it's really exciting. Yeah, I mean, there's a round of mergers and and the shareholders in the company can propose mergers and do things at that point. And as you say, I think I think we'll touch on that a little bit later in, in more detail, but it's it's at the crux of the game. These these five share companies, as we say, they're, they're born to, really born struggling for capital. Yeah, they don't want to be there at the end of the game. If you've got one at the end of the game, you're almost certainly buying a train out of pocket to help it, you know, yeah, get its permanent. Maybe, maybe it depends. If you can make a really big company that can afford to lose a train into a, into one of the small ones, you can get a disproportionate amount of return on those certificates. Maybe nobody else is holding them, or it's, mm. it's split to players who you don't care if they get a little bit of money. The point being is that you can. It will need a big. It will need a big friend. Indeed, indeed. It definitely is somebody to look after it and have its back as such. Mm. And interestingly, again, too, so one of the things that comes up with cert limits as well, obviously because they're, they're 20% shares, you can hold 60% in these small companies. So that's fairly standard convention across some, some 18XXs. Whereas with the big 10 share companies, 
as I say, in other games you'd expect to hold a 60% cap. We, we know there are games that don't enforce that. Here you can hold 70% of a 10-share company. But I think, you know, your, your cert limit is super tight in this game, depending on your player count. You never feel like you have enough. No, no you've never got enough room. Um, there are ways around it. And, and again, I think we'll touch on that in, in some of our thoughts mm. as well. So um, I think we should also talk about the track on this one. Yes, because exactly big, where I was going to go. Because it, interchang- it uh, so interplays with the hex train element of it. So the map has got hostile terrain. The distances between cities can be quite large. Especially with that hex train calculation. Mm-hmm. Um, so this game uses narrow gauge in a very interesting way. Okay, so it features broad gauge, which is the normal train. Standard black line track, as I'll call it. Mm-hmm. A narrow gauge, which is the old uh, candy cane track. And although, I'm not, do they have candy cane in Ireland? I'm sure they have it, but on, whether it's a domestic thing, I don't know. The narrow gauge is used to strap towns to cities. Dits. Yeah, yep. Towns to doinks. cities, doinks, dits, those fellas, to cities. And you just add their value to the city stop to the, to the main stations yep. that they're connected to the main cities they're connected to but you don't have to calculate the distances in terms of the hex train because they represent local metro links bringing, bringing people into the big transport hubs and terminuses you've got it yeah. you've got it so realistically your primary weapon in this game arguably should be the narrow gauge certainly early on because you aren't going to have the trains that are going to be able to travel any distance so the only way to add value to these puny little mini companies well, I say the only, a significant way of doing it is narrow gauge. Yeah, and I think, you know, if you can chain in, again, looking at the layout of the board, the board geography is is really significant in this, but if you can chain in some of those so little dits into that, and, and you can add to the value of a city quite a lot. And now, interestingly, with narrow gauge, if you lay a tile that's exclusively narrow gauge, it pays no terrain cost, and quite a lot of those little cities, unsurprisingly, are on expensive tiles to lay. So mm. the game is is gently nudging you in that direction. But, Agreed. Um, Agreed. And the thing is quite interesting. Uh, we observed in the last play, there's a trap. I would argue Dublin is high value, and there's a couple of companies that start in Dublin that if you run them, they're functioning on autopilot um, for half the game, aren't they? In for, effect, for about a third of the game, I'd argue. Yeah, sure. Let's say half. But the um, the cities in the outer regions, I think it's the, they call it the Emma Skidding tile, it's really low value, but because it's positioned that it can strap those towns on, its peak value is way higher than Dublin. And and the cha- the challenge you've got there is that some players are going to want to try and put that value on it because, because they've got a vested interest in that location. Other players want to take that value away and put either put it on somewhere else or take it away by putting broad gauge Ah, onto it. Yeah, let's, let's, there's implied knowledge there, Dave. Let's fix the implied knowledge. When a doink has both narrow gauge and broad gauge run into it, it's considered to be a transport hub in and of itself. Its customers will go on the express train rather than riding on the trams or whatever. So suddenly that thing that you were adding, using to add plus 20, because say it's a chain of them, to a town... That so change cut, yep. and so someone can lay a nasty upgrade to help out that town, yeah. but hurt your prospects. You, you can be quite destructive in the upgrades, and actually, that brings us on to the, I think the next good point to discuss about tracks: the the tile manifest, super limited, very, very, very limited. They're not in plentiful supply at all. I think you you've got kind of two of most, other than your sort of standard core straight gentle bend and, and tight bend tiles, you've got two of anything else at most. Uh, and you're really kind of fighting to get the tile out and on the board where necessary. Ah, you see, but the good Lord giveth and the good Lord taketh away because the green tiles in this game are far more flexible 
than you normally see as green tiles. These guys are more like the brown tiles. Yeah, in other you can games. create a lot of lot of cross linkage with you, those you through green and brown. Yeah, like you have the you have the weird hookback triangle, whatever we're going to call it. Um, the ice skate. I'm going to call it an ice skate. Uh, that, that that suits me. It's not chicken foot, is it? No, it's not chicken foot. No, Look, guys, find a tile, caught the ice skate. That evidences you're part of the train rush. <laughs> it's a brown tile in every other game I've ever played. It's a green tile in this. There's loads of stuff like that. So I think in part, it's probably necessitated by the fact that you use hex trains. So if you force people to go the long way around and these things, they'd make absolutely no money. Yeah. So having a slightly more flexible track makes the game not a total grind. Maybe I'm wrong there. That's I'll shoot from the hip. Pow, pow. But I think, you know, it's, it's one of those things really that um, tile laying can be quite destructive in this. And, and the one you want almost certainly isn't going to be there unless you're at the front of the queue to get it. So, you know, you're going to have to have plans and look at routes. And, and you know, again, with that hex train limitation, you don't want to be circling around long things because you haven't got the ability to do it, really. Let's blow out that mechanic on mergers, right? The stuff we've spoken about on the edges is, is interesting. But I think what you're going to live or die by with this, you're either going to like it or hate it on the basis of the mergers. Yeah, it's it's the crux of the game, isn't it? You yeah. start with these tiny share companies. They, once the first four hex train has been sold, you get into to a merger round. Uh, and at that point, starting with the player with priority deal, you may propose a merger of a company that you have a share in with mm. another company that it is connected to. Now, you do not have to be president of that one, so you can do it with your one single certificate, your 20% of that company. You can propose a merger. And what happens is, obviously, players have votes on that. Anyone who holds a certificate has a vote. In effect, each each of those 20% shares is worth a vote. So the president gets two votes for his share, his or her share, sorry. Um, shares that are still in the treasury of the company, in effect, haven't been issued, so they don't count and they don't get involved in the vote. Um, shares that are in the bank pool will vote in favour of an increment in, in stock price. So, in effect, you work out the intersection of the, the two or three companies, because you can do a three-company merger here. We, we've seen that done. Mm-hmm. Um, and you work out the intersection of the price, the, the highest and leftmost intersection between the, the company values, and that will be your new share price. So any shares that are in the bank, if, if their value is going to increase in the new merged company, they're all for that. These ruthless banker shareholders sure. uh, just want the cash out of it. If it's not going to increase in the value, they're not interested. If it's going to stay the same, again, they abstain from voting. So, with well, a little bit of. Well, you say, just to be clear, if it's going to decrease in share value, they vote against. against sorry, yes. Right, as opposed to disinterested. So then they, they are anti if it's going to lower in value, and they abstain if it stays the same in value. Yes. It behaves as you'd expect once it, you realise the bank votes. Logical, and, and you can predict it. And that is one of the real key things to the game here is is predicting how that's going to happen. And, and I think, you know, well, certainly I've seen it in a couple of places. No, predict, predict suggests a certain passiveness to it. I think it's about manipulating what's going to happen. There's a few things there. You mentioned the free company mergers. So I, I got caught out by that the other day. Didn't of course, I? but here's the thing, right? There's, there's some restrictions. You mentioned the companies have to be connected. That's an obvious restriction. I say obvious. No, no, but but yes, yeah. In this, in this one, game, in, it's it's need. You need to be able to trace a route between the two companies. The other two restrictions are, as you mentioned, they can't start on the same home hex. But one of the more important ones is that you can't issue more than ten certificates. So in the yes. three, in, there's potential for there to be 12 certificates in circulation for a three-way merger. 
Okay, if every share is off every charter and exists either in a player's hand or in the bank, you've got to make the transaction whole out of that merger. So, so as you say, you can't take three companies that are fully owned by all players, absolutely, and and merge them. But if 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 there are still shares in the treasury of the companies, then as long as you can can distribute the ten certificates to where they currently sit. So again, as part of that merger process, any shares that are in the bank need to be replaced. Well, here's the interactive bit, right? I could defend my company in principle by issuing shares to the bank. Maybe I issue shares because to the bank. Because it changes the share value and yeah. I could issue shares to the bank that are going to vote against the type of action I want or maybe vote in favour for the merger that I'm trying to champion. Mm. Maybe I issue shares to the bank to make it so the freeway merger can't happen because there are now 15 shares, shares in around circulation. The board, yeah. So one of the interesting things, of course, you can do is that, that uh, a merger can only be proposed once between x number of companies during a share round so you can defensively propose a merger early in the share round if you've got the priority deal to to defend something or alternatively you can aggressively propose a merger to to absolutely mess other people's plans i think we we, well as i said earlier i fell victim to it to a merger of of one of mine Uh, i think in our Mm. last game we played somebody proposed it i knew they were connected i thought the shares were kind of going to be okay and it wasn't and i lost it yeah, I would say that it's the thing there. The other thing you can do to defend against a merger, that, just to be clear, that companies have to be connected thing, they have to be connected via broad gauge. So what you can do to defend against a merger during the ORs is you can drop narrow gauge between a company that you're worried about blending into you and yourself yes. to make it so you're illegal in that sense. There's a few things you can do. The, thing, the interesting thing is, I guess, with the merger proposals, in the event of a tie the person who proposed the merger will... Um, will become the well, president. No, well, no, no, hold up a second. Sorry. Will become the president. Thank you. I was just about to say we'll carry the vote. The vote has to be... has to be, has to be a majority for majority. it to happen. Mm. But again, in ties, when the redistribution of certificates happen, if there is a tie in presidency, it's either the person who proposed the merger or closest to their left. Mm. So if you're thinking the merger's going to happen anyway and you've got priority, you might as well get presidency out of it, right? Oh, oh, yeah, and or alternatively, you may be very happy to wave goodbye to those companies. They are, as we've said earlier, I think a little bit of a millstone at times around your neck. So sometimes mm. you want somebody to take it off your hands. I, I know, again, I had a, a play a long time ago. I think it might have been my first play, and I... I tried to play with those levers and, and um, stole a company away from somebody. Uh, and at the time, they were super frustrated with that. Uh, and then in the end, I was actually struggling to keep it alive at the end of the game. And they were quite happy because they'd set up a, a brand new 10-share company later in the game. So the 10-share companies can come in as a result of mergers or later in the game, you just start them as a normal company. They uh, It's incremental capitalization and, and they start everything floats as soon as the president's share is sold. Mm. Um, so you're not got to kind of get to 50 60 percent limit of, of that held out there and you've got the normal incremental capitalization tools of companies being able to issue shares to the bank to the bank or buy out of the bank as well yeah well i say issue shares issue a, a share, share yeah per it's, it's a drip feed of cash it, it, um, ties, it ties into the austerity theme right there's not it's hard to get money into these companies and it's pretty hard to get money out of these companies and a fixed fixed two r's fixed two or's apologies there uh in the game so a fixed two ors yes we'll call them ors, ors. Shall like that yeah lovely so, any any thoughts on the title in terms of summary, free-roaming stuff, as if we haven't been around? Uh, I was going to say, I think we've done a fair amount of that. But I think, you know, uh, I think it's it's a really interesting title. I really, really like it. So, you know, disclaimer, right at the front of it, it's one of my favourites. I think it's got some really interesting stuff. I think 
it changes very, very much uh, with the player count. So I think at three, the game can be quite loose. It's enjoyable, but, but there's not that harsh edge to it. When you get up to six, it's elbows out, brutal, you know, every man and woman for themselves. I think at six as well, you've got, you know, interesting opportunities, you know, at, at that point. Do, do you just sit back and play the investor a little bit more? I, I did that in one of our games uh, and, and kind of sat out the first half of the game. Uh, and let you all scrabble around with the five share companies. I, I you know, I, I invested a few things and I, I kind of, you know, made sure your companies ran and then dropped the shares before I became too liable for anything. And then, um, then you know, as soon as I could start a 10 share company, I took all that cash I had and, and, and used it. I won't say wisely, but. Um. Well, you'd be pretty, pretty close. I think you were third in that game, but you were within a few hundred. It makes more sense in a six player game because there's so little money per player. Yes, right. and, and the, the cert limit is brutal. But whereas in the three-player game, you've got a lot more money versus a six-player game, and therefore you should probably take advantage of the increased agency that provides. Yes. Um, that said, we had a game of it of four players that was incredibly brutal. The, the, the thing I would say is, right, there's a full toolbox of weapons here. If you think the normal 18xx weapons of dropping companies on people or stealing companies when they've left themselves vulnerable to having shares purchased out... That, I'll be honest, I find these days that's pretty easy to defend against, right? You always make sure you can afford 60% of your shares and you, oh, sure, you can't avoid every company drop, but there's tools for it. This gives you another tool. A, fur, a, fur, a further dimension yeah. to, to quantify mm-hmm. and think about as you're going through. Then, but yeah, yeah, yeah. It was a gunfight before, now I'm giving you a knife to stab the guy in his phone box, right? And here's the thing. It's a take tool. Now, unless you're incredibly novice, I'm sorry if that sounds condescending, but it only happens to you once or twice. It's very rare that you have a company bought from underneath you. Typically, you'll make sure that you leave yourself in a position where you can buy the 50% share. Yes. Right? It's, you'd have to be put caught pretty flat-footed to allow a company to be bought underneath you unless you were made destitute previously, in which case it's a part of a wider play. It's not part of, you know, it's not part yeah. of a specific instance of play. With this, there's a mechanic for taking something off someone in addition to what you're normally used to. And taking is interesting because it's like, okay, I liken it to Indonesia. With Indonesia, as a Euro game produced by Splotter, with Indonesia, you have to accept the fact that the thing you have isn't necessarily going to be yours. Okay? Certainly not at the end of the game. Not even at the end of the year, not even at the end of the phase. Yeah. Okay, you, can, you know, there's a, every so often there's a, a point when you can propose mergers between companies. And heck, if you can propose mergers between companies, you don't even have a share in. At least with this, there's some controls. You know, the companies have to be connected. You have to have a little bit of a stake. The, the, the share issuance has to allow it. With Indonesia, it's just hell, it's just chaos. Um, unbridled chaos. Lovely, beautiful, unbridled chaos. But anyone can propose a merger. And as such, that wonderful rice paddy that you were building, it probably isn't going to be yours. But the difference in Indonesia is you get compensation, right? You get money compensation. Whereas here you're getting shares, which which you may then choose to sell immediately in the share round straight sure. afterwards. So you can you can generate that. And and again, thinking back to to that minor minor shareholder engagement, you know, again, that's reminiscent of some of the things that, that we talked about in our North American Railways episodes. You can agitate from afar by having a small stakeholder mm. in something. Sure, After that compensation selling the shares straight away. Some, if you are a player who likes having their thing and running their thing to the end of the game and, and looking after this thing and seeing what values it can hit, it's not going to be compensation much. When no. your company's been devalued, potentially, because one of the shares is going up and one of them's going down in most of these situations. Yep. 
And they go, oh yeah, well done. That thing you were looking to build to the end of the game, tough luck. You've it's got some shares now. now. Forget it. Yeah, yeah. Your psychology just might not appreciate that. The other thing I would say, and I've got, I've got to say this outright, that knife I'm talking about in this metaphor, it's really sharp. You don't leave it near the kids because if someone falls afoul of it, they can distort the game for everyone. They'll have a terrible time. So it's better when everybody has a roughly equal knowledge of how these levers work. So so one of the questions that, that, that we like to ask ourselves on a regular basis, is this one for a new player? I don't think so. It absolutely isn't. I, I think, it you know, absolutely isn't because the new player, beyond having a terrible time themselves, which they will as their company after company, they put in nice positions, gets taken off them. Beyond that experience, they'll set somebody else up as a fair company win- winner. Yeah, and you might as well wrap, without put even realizing they're doing it. Yeah, and, right. and I think, mm. I think you know, it's it's definitely an interesting one to take people on the journey. You know, if you're loving it and you want to try things that have got more levers to pull and craziness uh, in a controlled way in the box, then then this is absolutely one for you. You know, it's. it's I really very, like it. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't want that caveat I provided there to sound overly negative. It's, it's, it's just, it shouldn't be somebody's first one unless they're they're feeling I, foolhardy. I I think that until someone has mastered the basic 18xx tools of stealing a company inverted commas or knowing how that happens, dropping a company, all those other things, there's no way you want to introduce a whole new lever that nukes player across table yeah. or destroys board state if you don't know what you're doing, right? I I I just think that is an interesting interaction, but it's a powerful interaction. Yes, and and again, you know, kind of, I want to, I want to kind of loop back and talk briefly about one of the other things that we we touched on briefly that that very very short certificate limit. You know, it can be mitigated. So one of the games we played uh, it was one of our more recent plays. Uh, one of the companies was, did a lot of withholding to try and make sure it got its train. It was down in the yellow zone, so of course those certificates. Uh, my rubbish green company, Dave. I remember uh, yeah. old rubbish, as we all call yeah, it, forevermore. Yeah, yeah. Ye oldy rubbish. Uh, and basically, you, you, you. Uh, I ended. Up, that's the one I came third in, as you say. I thought I was doing very, very well. I had miscalculated on those those shares that you and our, our friend Hamish held um, in the green company, the old rubbish. Yeah, I think I called it that more than once. And basically, you, you had. I think you had fifty percent each of it which I think they were worth about 50 a share at the end and you beat me by 200 which is pretty much that amount I'm not, I'm so. not a mug I'm not a mug Dave I had 60% of it I believe I wouldn't run it for somebody else's benefit it's for <laughs> my benefit Dave I would say it's the old yellow sh- it's the ye oldy rubbish was in ye oldy yellow share exactly. zone yeah a nice little 1830 thing and it doesn't overcook this one it just has a yellow share zone yeah I mean, oh, it just, bit of a fib bit of a fib we should probably talk before we do uh, close out the episode we should probably talk about the black zone the, the closed zone. Yes, yes yeah Very, very easy for a company to drop off the back end of the stock market. And it's gone at that point. It's out of the game. Um, we, you know. had, we had to fully explore that. There's, a, there's an idea here that you could plausibly open up a company, born to die, let it drop down into black, close before you have the liability of buying it a train. I, I, we, um, you, you've spoken I, about I, this I, idea I, before. I, I, I think Can you make it work? Will gonna, you make it work, Dave? You're going to have to buy a train. It's going to have to be fed at some way point. But it, it could be used as a pseudo briefcase potentially to get a better train into something else. It's going to be a lot of hard work. I've not really fully crystallized my thoughts on it yet, but it's certainly something that I think if you par it low enough, do some strategic withholding and drop it off the back end, you might just be able to get out of jail without hurting yourself too much, but leaving something else in a much better position. Because as you say, if you started a company early in the game and you want to try and run one of those five shares to the end, you're going to have to find ways of giving it trains and a bit of love from around the rest of the table. Yeah, a way of make, yeah, because like you say, those five shares can only be sold once. And that's the point, right? It's left us with a lot of interesting questions. I'm still keen to play it more. You know, mm. there's, there's plenty there to explore. 
I've seen, like I say, we've had the fortune of playing it with Colin Smith, um, one of the more expert players in the UK, who was able to show us some more widgets inside it than we'd previously seen. Yeah. So, say, super, and- t- super title, would recommend it for the anybody who's a hardcore, hardcore soft, mid-core, mid-core 18xx player who's looking to expand their collection, as long as you're okay with stuff being taken from you and you go, okay, we're sort of dynamic, why not add it to the collection? And, and I think the only other caveat to add to that is it is one that contains player bankruptcy. Interestingly, it's one that I've not found the bankruptcy rules for on this one yet. I've found them in just about every other game, but that's a very prevalent risk. Bankruptcy doesn't end the game. Bankruptcy just eliminates the player. So, you know, you need to go, again, you need to go into it with your eyes open because there's lots of nastiness. Uh, that knife fight in a phone booth, you know, you can come out of that not in a very good, healthy shape and may have to spend an hour or two watching everyone else play the game that you thought you were going to be there at the sharp end of. Cool. I, I guess we'll close out there. Thank you very much for joining us today. Sorry you had to wait so long for another 18xx episode. I won't lie, these ones take a lot of time to produce. We, because we want to get the plays in, we want to try and you know make mm. sure we're covering all angles as best we can. You know, mm. So it mm. takes us a little longer to get around to it. Um, we try and hold ourselves to a decent standard, right? I wouldn't like to talk, to, although we don't build these things as reviews, because they're not, they're just us talking to our experiences at this stage in our 18xx lives, for want of a better term. We do hold ourselves to a better standard than say we're just going to shoot from the hip. And our search to play something five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times, then you're going to need that times four for the number of hours. You know, yeah. it's a it's a big old investment. And we have lives outside of producing this stuff. Sometimes yeah. we wish we could do this all day, every day, really. I, I do. A lot of the time I wish I could do it all day, every not, day. Not the podcast thing, the playing games, yeah, because I think if we talked all day, every day, people would get very bored very quickly. I'd be very hoarse. But <laughs> what I will close out on is thank you so much for your patience. We'll close out with some housekeeping. You are able to find us, if you so wish, on thetrainrush.com. We're also on Twitter at The Train Rush. Sure. We're also on Instagram on the underscore train underscore rush because I hate Instagram having already stolen my username. You'll find uh, us on Facebook, Facebook just searching yeah. for us. The other thing, the new thing. Da, yep. da, 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 da. The shiny news we should have probably covered earlier in the episode. You can join us at the Guild. I don't know our Guild number. Just search for a train rush under Guilds. But Dave will look for the Guild number right now. But we have got Joe helping us out. Seeding it with content, asking you questions, even asking you about maybe what you'd like to hear about on future episodes. What's got you excited in all things train games? We'd love to see you there. The thing that gives me as big a buzz as recording this, Dave, is talking to the people who listen to it. Indeed, absolutely. Getting getting to talk to people and know, know, know our listeners is great fun. We thank all those people who've kind of interacted with us already. And, and what we're looking forward to is, is hearing more from you, helping us shape the show a little bit. Our guild number on Board Game Geek is 3342. So do come along, check us out, introduce yourself. There's a, a welcome to the, the train rush, train shed thread. Joe, our, our good friend Joe, will absolutely be helping us through with that and, and keeping us honest as part and parcel of that. But in the meantime, you know, uh, thank you for bearing with us. And we look forward to getting another episode out for you to listen to soon. Cheerio.